the question actually to ask is whether this was something that was a matter for the Russians, that is a matter of last resort for the Russians. Right. And when you ask that question, that would be the right question, according to me. We have with us today, Sri Sanjay Dixit, who is one of the most visible and prominent Indic and Hindu voices today. I'd like to welcome you, Sanjayji. Thank you and namaste to everyone. Uh, so Sanjayji, uh, let's begin with uh, one of the most fascinating aspects when it comes to uh, yourself. Uh, your journey from being in the Merchant Navy, then the Indian Administrative Services, uh, and now a well-known social and political commentator. Uh, you have had stints even with the Rajasthan Cricket Board for that matter. Uh, and this journey has been quite singular. So what motivated you along your journey? <clears throat> well, uh, I think I take a journey as a journey. <laughs> as, as Bhagavad Gita would tell you, uh, that uh, a journey is a journey. And uh, as we tell our budding cricketers during cricket coaching, concentrate on the process and not on the results. Because if you start concentrating too much on the results, then uh, other things would come into play. And that's exactly what uh, Bhagavad Gita would teach you, you know, and of course it is also quite mis misunderstood. It doesn't mean that you do not aspire for the fruits. Of course, you have to have a target, but you do not command the fruits. So I think that's how I just went along. That's very beautiful, yeah. Um, and I think that's very important and relevant for uh, you know today's age. Um, Coming to a recent, uh, and I'll be coming to the Jaipur Dialogues uh, in a bit, uh, which has been one of the most um, uh, path-breaking initiatives uh, in, in terms of uh, you know, de defining the narrative and defining the discourse when it comes to Sanatan Dharm. Uh, but before I come to that, uh, something which is very relevant right now, the, the Ukraine conflagration, and you have recently uh, you released a video uh, which you know on the same, a few interactions. Uh, so the ongoing conflagration has been in the news and Russia is obviously wary of the increasing NATO influence in Ukraine. Uh, Donbass has been part of a violent civil war for eight years. Uh, Neo-Nazi groups like the Azov Battalion are, uh, you know, present and have grown. But does any of that justify the Russian invasion of Ukraine that has left thousands dead and more than one million people displaced? I see, an invasion is an invasion. You know, you look for justifications for the invasion. I think there's never been an invasion in the world history uh, that can be justified as such, because. Uh, Everybody would say, okay, violence is uh, avoidable. But then uh, is there a justification for the Mahabharata war? That's a, that's a counter question that I would like to ask anybody. But then uh, that was uh, <clears throat> actually uh, uh, the Pandavas were actually coaxed into and persuaded into joining that war. Because there comes, a, there comes a time when that is the matter of last resort. And uh, the question actually to ask is whether this was something that was a matter for the Russians, that is a matter of last resort for the Russians. Right, yeah. And when you ask that question, that would be the right question according to me. Right. And... Uh, Maybe it wasn't a matter of the last resort. They could have waited some more time. But then uh, there is never a perfect invasion, uh, as we all know. Had there been a perfect invasion, Hitler would never have lost. 
because he had calculated everything. And uh, so there is never a perfect war. There is never a perfect invasion. But uh, if you look at it from the point of view of the Russians, I think uh, the way they had been treated by the West, when they actually wanted to Westernize, they wanted to join the West and they were spurned. And not only they were spurned, they were actually plundered. Uh, in fact, uh, just yesterday I was talking to, in fact, uh, <laughs> that particular video was removed by YouTube. I take it as uh, a salute to Jaipur Dialogues by the YouTube. We have arrived because one of our video was taken down. Luckily, it was restored on appeal. But then I uh, gave out some facts and I took Tariq Fateji back to uh, an address that was made by Putin to the Russian parliament. And uh, he said that uh, he blamed who all? He blamed the communists, he blamed the elites. Who are these elites? These elites were the ones, the Russian elites, who were pampered, encouraged, and husbanded by the US and the West and by the Wall Street. And what was the result? The result was a complete impoverishment of the Russian population. Right. Between 1990 and 1999, the globalists, uh, the Wall Street, they encouraged, in fact, they they kind of um, pioneered some kind of a capitalist revolution in Russia, which resulted in their GDP going down by 40%. And their per capita income going down by more than 50%. And uh, uh, resulting in uh, uh, what is called a per capita income of something like $1,320, which at that point of time was uh, probably less than India's. And uh, that was all done under the capitalist watch here because they were uh, actually uh, leading the Russian economy by hand. They were guiding the Russian economy. So Russia wanted to join NATO at one point of time when they went back on their promises and uh, they made Poland, Czechoslovakia and Hungary join the NATO. Yes. At that time, Russia also applied. Yes. Russia was spurned. So what was the big game going on? It's the same game that has been going on, that same colonial imperialist game that has been going on for well nigh three or four centuries. So where does that leave Russia? In fact, I admire Putin that he called it out. Somebody lesser uh, would probably have bethered and uh, uh, would have uh, again thrown Russia to the wolves because in the Putin years from 1999 onwards, in these 23 years, he has brought Russia from a 190 billion economy to a 2.1 trillion economy, he has taken the per capita income of the Russians from $1,320 to $14,800. And somebody who's done that, he's not going to be hated by the Russians as the uh, U.S. and the West seem to assume. They seem to think that by bringing sanctions, they will impoverish Russia. Whatever sanctions they might bring on, Russians are never going to lose 40% GDP, maybe 1%, 2% here or there. <laughs> so that's about all. Right. So I have a completely different take. Right. All this um, uh, moral principles about war, 
not for me when it comes to defending your dharma then if you have to go to war you do go to war as simple as that today there was uh, the movement of the russian kind of market and and then the force because visa and mastercard after their uh, exit i think it has moved towards chinese um, you know entities and that's that's a question in itself uh, you also raised a very yes, they they are also going for rupee going for rupee not just yes. the yeah. union pay of china right exactly so i mean and and you also raised a very important uh, you know uh, observation which um, the viewers may some of them may know uh, but it's not quite widely known that russia did apply for nato uh, and there was a rejection of sorts from the nato forces at one point um, and there has been this uh, you know uh, this tussle of sorts uh, even on the finland question there were you know po- uh, poland hungary and various other aspects as such uh, but in this current configuration russia has openly challenged the unipolar nature of uh, international geopolitics today um, you know with taliban regaining Afghanistan and a history of uh, military misadventures by the United States uh, such as in Iraq uh, are we seeing the end of days when you know NATO particularly the US uh, could unilaterally decide the fate of various nations and people uh, without being checked <clears throat> days of NATO are over quite clearly right. and uh, they are themselves to blame for that and why should NATO have existed NATO's what was why did NATO come about NATO came about because of the cold war and once the the cold war had been ended by mutual agreement russia was a party to the end of cold war after all the german reunification was achieved with russia's consent yes. the dissolution of the ussr took place with russia's consent and those consent also had something of the aspiration of the russians they thought that they would be integrated into global economic system and they would get a fair deal for sacrificing so much and for enabling the west to write things like uh, the end of history well uh, obviously the end of history what they meant was not just the end of history but the annihilation of russia was uh, clearly if the russia doesn't want itself to be annihilated and wants to push back i can't blame russia and uh, you you mentioned in one of your uh, responses right now about this um, the weaponization of uh, you know th- there has been an information warfare and, and a certain sanction based uh, even sanctions for for that matter so weaponization of information media and finances uh, has been used as a new form of warfare by the west which is desperate to kind of check russia's advances in ukraine um more closer to home i mean this whole weaponization of information media and finances um you know particularly in india given uh, that we have the general election coming in 2024 um there are various forces uh, under the surface which are problematic which may you know really um, unsettle things um wh- how do you think we as indians we as a people uh, can be prepared for this uh, shadow offensive if one and if one could call it that uh, given the you know upcoming uh, definitive events that are supposed to happen in the country <clears throat> well they're trying that everywhere right they 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 they're trying that right now with russia russia reacted luckily they tried that with yugoslavia and breaking india as rajiv ji's famous book says has been a project for uh, nearly two centuries we know that that it's been a very very important project for the west and they did manage to break india and they have broken it into three parts but they're uh, real aspiration is to break it into 18 parts as that gangadhar famous gangadhar adhikari thesis proposed yeah. and um, the only thing that the western hegemons i call them hegemons 
because uh, everything that they talk about, whether they talk about uh, freedom of speech or free market or freedom of expression or uh, intellectual freedom, academic freedom, everything is geared towards one goal. And that one goal is to establish a neo-imperialistic hegemony all over the world. The globalization project was one such. And of course, China was smart enough to actually turn it around Rich. And, and make a complete ass of these profit-loving Americans. But the effort to treat everybody else outside their sphere of influence, to treat everybody else as either a client state or a potential client state. And if it doesn't fit into these two, then to treat it as a rogue state has always been the yeah. fulcrum of all US and Western policies. And that uh, we have been a witness to that from 1830s. And uh, the leaders who inherited the mantle after the British left they continued that same policy because I don't think they had the self-confidence or the self-esteem to actually analyze uh, these tendencies and these policies and to uh, face them squarely or uh, let alone uh, turn them around. And uh, we've seen that happen for a good 60 years. The last eight years have actually been some kind of a, I would say, uh, just maintaining that status quo, not letting things uh, worsen, but there hasn't been a pushback yet. But I'm quite happy to note that finally, the situation may arise where India would be forced to push back. And for that, we have to thank Putin. Yeah. 